that's your transition? You wouldn't want to send them to their maker without proper cuticle care. Well, you can't Eskimo kiss anymore. Kind of like the light bright in the sky? Uh Uh-huh. Their boat was found drifting with full sails and tons of stores of food with no one on board. Well, maybe I do believe in it because maybe I am a descendant. Well, ain't this special, people? Oh, yeah. This is your in-person live, well, not live, but in-person smart dribble. This is Kurt Schneider with... John Ellenthal, in-person, and for you and me, this is live, Kurt, or else our listeners are not going to have a good time. We're not six feet apart. That's okay. I'm prepared to take certain risks for the podcast and for our listeners' entertainment. We are in the same room recording Smart Dribble for the first time since early March 2020. So, Kurt, since we're talking a little bit about history here. <laughs> That's your transition? No, I was, not, I was not talking about transitioning to the topic, which, <laughs> as a teaser, does relate to history, but I was going to discuss our personal history. Oh, boy. Since we started this podcast... Not only have we failed to be in the same room more often than we'd prefer, but you and I have had a series of physical maladies that I think is probably not causation, but it could be correlated. You are about to have what number knee surgery since we started the podcast? Only the second since we started the podcast. Only two. It seems like more. <laughs> I know it does because I was in the hospital for the bike accident. Right, you also had a bike accident that required collapse lung, the whole deal. I have broken my wrist, and on a separate occasion, I've broken a couple of toes, and I've had a really unpleasant bout of kidney stones. Do you think the podcast is leading, is accelerating our physical deterioration? Well, and I think the biggest thing we both broke was our pride. So you're talking about history. Today's episode is about history, but just so people don't go running for the hills thinking, I don't want to listen to Kurt oh, yes. on about history. This is fun history. Right. This is history that rhymes. History mystery. That would be the rhyming part. Isn't it incredible how the impact that rhyming has on people? I mean, it makes everything more memorable, more repeatable. Johnny Cochran, OJ trial. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. And there's no doubt that's stuck in the jury's head. But rhymes stick. So you said something about history's history mystery. Yeah, it came from a listener. It came from a listener. Do you know this listener? I do very well because he's my progeny. Uh, so that narrows it down to two, yes. one of whom was a history major. So I'm going to go with Sun Walk. And that one also got his master's in history. So yes, I would think that's a good guess. That's like history on top of history. So we had a recent episode where we rhymed. From wars to stores, we talked about how certain products invented by and for the military had become sort of mainstream commercial products. Who invented the Emory Board? That's what I want to know. And why do they call Emory it? Emory University. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, why do they call it the Emory Board? But I just thought of that. The Emory Board, which people love to use, why? Do you use an Emory Board? No. I think it's divided usually during in gender. I hate to be that specific. Well, I think it did actually come from the military. It, it was for when you were in tight hand-to-hand combat and you were fighting someone who didn't have good cuticles. You brought it out. You wouldn't want to send them to their maker without proper cuticle care. <laughs> Kurt, you mentioned something about history mystery. Yes. 
So do you want to tell us more about that so we can dive in? Because right now, sure, we are like walking around the deep end of the pool, dipping our toe in, afraid the water's too cold. So let's dive. Okay. So okay. the cool thing about history mysteries are, are is that there are so many of them, right? We have so many things we don't know. And I think it's a part of humanity that we want to know. We're curious. And the unknown is titillating, but also frustrating at the same time. I think you're right. I think I think when our brain doesn't have the complete picture and something is missing or we don't understand something, we really focus and obsess on it. I've often thought if you were a caveman looking up at the sky way back when in caveman time and you saw all of those stars, what did you possibly think was going on up there? And whatever you did come up with probably was a whole lot more complicated and nefarious than was what was actually going on up there. I think the indigenous people, indigenous, the internet, didn't <laughs> indigenous people from Alaska, we used to call them Eskimos. I think they had something where they would, they thought that the stars were someone who lived up in the sky who poked holes in it. And that's what the stars kind were. Kind of like the light like. bright in the sky. Uh-huh. We don't but the call, opposite. We don't call them Eskimos anymore. No. I, don't, I may have missed that one. I don't want to insult anybody inadvertently. I prefer to do it on purpose. What do we call them now? Inuits. You say that without a lot of confidence. Yeah. Well, you can't Eskimo kiss anymore, which used to be a favorite of mine. Is that when you rub notes? Yeah. So you said something about history. Yeah. Okay. So there are many. There are things like the pyramids, Stonehenge. Well, we know where the pyramids came from. Stonehenge, Jack the Ripper. Ooh, unsolved mystery. Roanoke, right? These are things. The crop circles that we've had. The the that that they made an Indiana Jones movie about the lost city of gold that's supposed to be in the Amazon, right? You know what's interesting about these? There seem to be a lot of these long-standing histories, at least in our culture. I have no idea whether these live on in other cultures, but perhaps you do since you're so cultured and well-traveled. But like a pearl that's been through an oyster. You are like a pearl. Cultured. Well, you're cultured. I also think that the origin of it is friction. So. <laughs> well, then again, I think all of our origins are friction-based when you think about it. You want to get super physical and specific, but the ocean is a mystery in and of itself. I mean, it's this mysterious place. It blankets most of the earth. You can't see what's happening beneath the surface. Because there's a lot of motion in the ocean. Yeah, we're, we're just going to stick with the rhymes today. And, you, and if you're in the sun, you want to put on some lotion. You know what? It's... <laughs> It's not, it's not, it's the motion of the ocean, not the size of the wave. That's it. Something like that. That's it. So, but think about all the sea-based mysteries, whether it's the Loch Ness Monster, the Bermuda Triangle, where things just disappear, never to be heard from again, never to leave a trace. The, you know, of course, the lost city of Atlantis, which is probably the granddaddy of them all. And what's that ship you like to talk about, that ghost ship? The Mary Celeste. What happened to the Mary Celeste? By the way, there was a children's book written about the Mary Celeste. I don't think that's a good thing because it was never solved. So the Mary Celeste. Yeah, so why would kids be scared? I'll tell you, because there was a ship captain from Boston, Nantucket. One of those that is scary. In the 19th century. He and his wife and his daughter got onto this boat with about eight crewmen, and they were going from Boston to Portugal, to Europe. They were going fine. All of a sudden, no one heard from them. I guess they didn't have cell phones, so no one would hear from them. But uh, their boat was found four days 
drifting with full sails and tons of stores of food with no one on board. So no sign of struggle, no sign of that. And they have never found them ever. History, mystery. They call it the ghost ship. So when there's an unresolved mystery like that, humans are very good at uh, theorizing. Filling things in. Got to. Usually with some pretty crazy explanations. So what are the prevailing theories of what happened to the family crew of the Mary Celeste? Well, they had enough food. So it wasn't for food. But one of the thought was maybe someone came on board and killed them, but didn't take the ship. Maybe they became slaves. But one of them... There was no evidence on the ship of any kind of struggle. None. They just disappeared without a trace. Gone. Did they go through the Bermuda Triangle, Kurt? Nope. They were north of it. Because then we could have combined two of history's mysteries. So if you forgive the pun, why don't we do a deep dive on the lost city of Atlantis? Because that is a rich story that I think Plato originally wrote about, right? Yes, he did. In the year, more than like 2000 years ago, whenever he was alive, he was like 300 BC. Plato, Greek philosopher, Plato's Republic, right? We got a lot of our normal, our, our current government from him. Do you know that we quoted Plato's Republic on our last episode? Or maybe two episodes ago. When we talked about Plato was made by the military, but we use it to play around with. Sort of. Well, that's silly, buddy. The term, the phrase rather, necessity is the mother of invention. Right. Was originated in Plato's Republic. And while it's not a verbatim representation, the belief is that thought was sort of massaged and shaped over time. And so we've done Plato. So, back to back or two out of three episodes. Plato. That's the smart part <laughs> of smart dribble. That's the ghost smart part. Oh, by the way, Plato, with good reason, was full of himself, but he, he should have. He was a smart guy. We still talk about him now. So, look, he clearly, clearly has staying power. So, what did he write about Atlantis? So, by the way, here's what's odd to begin with about Atlantis. Apparently, it was about seven or 9,000 years before Plato. Yet he's the first person to mention it. No one, if it were as great as he thought. Anyway, what he said yeah. was that according to Plato, it was a utopian society. It was a maritime island kingdom that existed 9,000 years before him. And apparently it was the greatest city of all time. Wow. Now, when it's lost, you can say that, right? It's like, oh, that was the greatest sports team of all time, but you don't know who they are. Right, but in terms of it being a city, wasn't it supposed to be like a gigantic place, much more than the size of a city? Huge. So I don't. Uh, right. It was like supposed to be bigger than the continent of Asia, which is, of course, a big place. So if we're looking for a hidden city, the size bigger than Asia, we don't have that many places we can look. But then other times they say it's just the size of like Syria, no. which is a lot smaller. So I think that, and then they said it's, was outside Gibraltar. So they're not sure where it was. But the other thing he said is one day, even though they were this hugely advanced society. Disappeared. Bermuda Triangle again. One day. So there was some sort of eruption of some kind. The earth just swallowed it up. Let the hypotheses begin. You know what? We never looked for it underneath the earth's surface, underneath the bottom of the ocean. Apparently they have. They think it could be underneath Antarctica. I have heard, I have read some things about people think that Atlantis is really modern day at uh, Antarctica. Tell me some of the legends that you know about. Well, the one that the one that I find most appealing, and of course, it does seem far fetched that there really was a place called kind of a stretch, Atlantis, right? Atlantis, which is supposed to be bigger than the biggest continents out there, and on top of that, it was supposed to be populated by these 
half man, half god-like creatures. They were like more beautiful and more intelligent than the common man. Well, maybe I do believe in it because maybe I am a descendant of the citizen. Or something went quite awry in the gene pool on the way down. (laughs) There was was some trauma between the time. You know what this reminds me of? No. I think it's kind of like the island um, from Wonder Woman, right? Wasn't that an island? Or... It could be like Brigadoon that I was in in eighth grade that only appears once every hundred years. Speaking of trauma, yeah. Yeah. So I am not well-schooled or well-versed in Wonder Woman, so I'm going to have to leave that comment there. But the story of Atlantis that I really dig the most, because I'm kind of a sucker for classical civilizations, Greek mythology. Tridents. Tridents. Actually, it relates directly to Poseidon, because, of course, he held the trident. And Poseidon, of course, was the... Greek god of the sea. What was the Roman god for Poseidon? Neptune, baby. Correct. We brought our mythology game today. I think the Greek names are better than the Roman names. I learned the Greek names first, so I think there might be some primacy and preference in my But think about it. Zeus. That's a good one. Jupiter. Eh. Well, no, no. Zeus and Jupiter are the same. And then Hera and Juno. And you got Apollo. And Creed. And Aphrodite and Bacchus and Dionysus. Yeah. So I think, I think on the whole, we'll get into the Greeks for better. We'll we'll get into the Greeks. Yeah. But back to Poseidon. Yeah. He was the god of the sea and he apparently wandered the earth looking for the largest island out there. And when he arrived at Atlantis, he found it. And while he was there, he fell in love with a mortal woman whose name was Clato. Clito, being careful here. I'm going to spell it for our audience so that we can avoid any type of letters and... No wonder why you fell in love. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, it has all the letters you'd want, Kurt, but it has some more as well. But can I just ask you a question? Yeah. Was she there? Yes. I thought that... citizen of Atlantis. I thought he found her and then took her to Atlantis as a prize, but also to entomb her or to prison her. I believe he, he, he met her. Got it. Okay. In this, you know, basically Atlantis. All right. In any event, he followed, let me spell C-L-E-I-T-O, pronounce that however you want. I think we can all appreciate that. It's hard to pronounce and you have to be careful. In any event, he built this incredible shrine and home to her. And they went on to have five sets of twin boys who, all, who ultimately inherited the island, the country, the place called Atlantis. And the oldest of all the sons was the ruler. And that was Atlas. We then took and we said, you need to be on Fifth Avenue. Exactly, and we appreciate that because he carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. Do you think that's the same Atlas? Uh, I can't imagine there's more than one Atlas in these myths. I also heard that they built, and it wouldn't, I don't know why this is not one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, but I, I heard that his sons built a huge Poseidon golden statue to him when he's in a chariot with horses, and they put it in this huge temple that was so high that the clouds came in up top. I mean, these guys were going big. They were hyperbolic. It's got to be the same Atlas. So Atlas, he was a titan? Was he a titan? No. He was the one that got into a big fight with Zeus 
which is generally a bad idea, which is why he was punished by having to carry around the world on his shoulders. Tough. I feel like that someday. Let's talk more about history's mysteries. Well, let me just take more about Atlantis. Oh, so please. people, they never found it, right? It's That's been looked right. for it, forever. It's lost, yeah. Some people think that it was inhabited by aliens. Now, that seems to be the go-to all the time, right? Who did the crop circles? Aliens. Who did Stonehenge? Aliens. But apparently, here's some great one I found. That one theory is that aliens came to Atlantis 50,000 years ago from the Lyrian star called Sylvania or something like that. And they came down and they controlled weather. They were kind of gods-like. They had a life expectancy of 800 years. And they were aliens. You know, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. If there is no rational, reasonable explanation for something, if there's no worldly explanation for something, like where could this incredible city have gone or, you know, Stonehenge and the crops, you tend to think of otherworldly explanations, whether it's aliens or God or some supreme force, because there's no earthly explanation for it. No, so you're right. What choice do you have? I think the human brain is compromised and has to do that, right? Because it can't just let things go. Well, I don't know if it's compromised. 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 Well, I think you know, you and I spend most of our careers in consumer marketing. And I think when you do leave out a piece of information, you know, people need to connect the dots. Fill it. Fill it. Right? Yeah, we don't like blanks. So okay. I love Mad Libs though. Oh yeah, me too. Speaking of Mad Libs, you and I are both in our mid-50s. And what I've noticed most about being in our mid-50s is that when you're having a conversation with you know, two or three or four contemporaries, it takes the entire group to complete the sentence because someone's like, you know, I went to this place. What was that place? What was that place? And someone shoot, oh, it was the Apollo Theater. And then you know, someone said was playing. Who was that? It takes everybody to fill in the blanks. It is a live three-dimensional game Mad of madness. <laughs> that is what life in the mid-50s is. And by the way, some of the things that are put in place are as ridiculous as Mad Libs were. Yes, but you know what? I guess it's the wisdom of the crowd. I mean, it takes five people to have one memory. I can remember being in a Volkswagen bus that had the top that popped oh, up and doing cool. Mad Libs up there. But let me get back to it. I wish I had one response before you do that. And that would be farting, Nugget. Yes. Well done. You can't spell it. but so can spell Cletus. As we, as we humans are apt to do, one thing that could be is that it, one one theory is that it actually was a a a uh, civilization, the Minoans, who were on. Is it the Minoans? Minoans. Thank you. I was thinking of the people who descended from the SS Minoan. Right, or the They're little very fish. People. Yes, very small people. Minoans who lived in Greece on Crete and Santorini four thousand years ago, and they were considered Europe's great civilization. They gave roads and they had palaces they had a written language and then at the height of their power disappeared they think it was because of an earthquake that caused a tsunami but i think that that was it and to me that makes sense something that was small that you make a bigger deal out of but there are natural disasters that can wipe out a small group of people unfortunately and back then we were not nearly as well protected first of all we had no we had we probably had less advanced warning that something was going to happen. Now we've got sensors and all of these computer models and we got, you know, satellite pictures. But there was some truth to it, right? And yeah, it makes sense. Johnny Appleseed did probably make six or seven apple trees, but not across the country. 
What are you telling me about the lost colony of Roanoke? And that was that was like early 1600s, before Jamestown. Right, right after Jamestown, wasn't it? I, I thought it was earlier than Jamestown, and then goodbye. Overnight, disappeared, everything gone. When they came, the next people, English came, because some of them had gone back home to get more supplies. And when they came back, Roanoke, gone. But, but that's been they explained. Saw, yes. That's kind of cool. What they think <laughs> is solving okay. is that the Native American civilization, which was far advanced to our, our English brethren, came in and they... In order to jointly survive, they intermarried. And so they just left Roanoke and intermarried. And they've actually done DNA testing of people that have have been from there. And they do have both the um, Native American and the English DNA in them. So they basically disappeared through assimilation. Exactly. But it must have happened quickly because how long were these people gone who went back for supplies? A couple months. But here's where they happened. It's like, all right, we sucked what we built here. The Native Americans are good looking. We're sick of our pasty white people hanging out with them. Let's let's cohabitate and procreate with them. And boom, they left. So if I gave you the power to snap your fingers and solve one of the great lingering unsolved mysteries of man, you could just scratch off like a lottery ticket and see the answer, get the explanation. What would it be? Wow. Ooh, I have so many. Too heavy? Well, I mean, Stonehenge, the Druids were amazing. How did they get the rocks there? Okay. What happened to Amelia Earhart? I'd like Ooh, to know that. Disappearances, yeah. You know, Michael Rockefeller, I always said it was cannibals. I agree with that. People get mad at me for saying that, but other people say it as well. I don't know the story of Michael Rockefeller. So Nelson's brother, John D. Rockefeller's son, Michael, the youngest one, uh-huh was kind of a guy who was finding himself, went to French Polynesia oh. and was out there. And if you go to the Metro Museum of Art, they have the Michael C. Rockefeller wing, which is everything he brought back. And he did an amazing job to save that society for or share that society and its history with others. And they ate him? One trip he went on and the thought was he went to one island and they yeah. ate him. Other people say he fell over and drowned. Well, I'm going with cannibals because they're more fun. Well, that is a much more colorful and dramatic story. Were they fine young cannibals? <laughs> she drove them crazy. Apparently, he drove them crazy enough to be dinner. So I would say to answer your question, then I'm going to ask you. It was a pretty deep question, wasn't it? Shakespeare. Shakespeare in the park. Is he real? Huh. Well, of course we don't know. I believe, for, not for reasons that I cannot explain to you, because they're not conscious reasons, I think there was a Shakespeare, and I think it was one guy. And while I have no evidence whatsoever, as I've come across the topic from time to time throughout, you pick up little bits and it forms an impression. And I believe that Shakespeare, the singular human, did exist. What do you think? Well, first of all, whoever did it, the person could rhyme. Now, there's a rhymer, right? Unbelievable. Body is all get out. One of the theories is it was Christopher Marlowe, who, who was his friend, who was part of Queen Elizabeth's court and was an aristocrat and therefore could not make sure that he was as low as being a writer and his body. Other people thought Sir Walter Raleigh might have written them with some of these. So some people from court... He did tobacco and he wrote... Guys on book, and then wow. he got put in the Tower of London and... Oh. So it could be a woman. Shakespeare could have been a woman. Okay, so 
I'm going to turn the table on you. You asked me if I could wave my hand and solve a history mystery, which one would you solve? So you want me to answer the same question, which seems fair on the surface, but I'd like to point out, that's a hard question. Yeah. And we're going to end the episode on this. Now I have even more pressure. Now I feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. So there is one mystery that fascinates me in particular. Mm. Well, I don't know that it fascinates me in particular. There's one mystery in particular that oh. fascinates me. In any event, it was only 60 years ago, but I recall watching on the 25th, 30th, whatever anniversary. I remember I watched for hours all of this documentary coverage, all of this live footage. And at that point, my garden variety fascination grew roots and it became, and I would love if I could snap my fingers to know what really happened to JFK. Not only who really shot him, if it was Lee Harvey Oswald, who put him up to it and why? The whole backstory. Yeah, I mean, did he act alone? If so, what was his real motivation? Was the mafia involved? Was Cuba involved? Again, we don't yeah. know. And what's different here, you have the Warren Commission and a bunch of other things. This has been studied extensively. Yeah. And either because it's just unknowable or there was some, you know, someone had their finger on the scale, we don't have clarity. But for some reason, that story. I get it. That one just sticks. Well, because it's it's close enough to be part of it. Like Jack the Ripper, also a huge one, but a little, you know, it's a little far afield now. Yeah. Have you ever been to Dealey Plaza? No, in Dallas, I have not. Yeah. So I've I've been up. I've been in the book depository where you go to the top floor, which is now a museum, and you can go to the window where Lee Harvey Oswald was, and I think they even have a replica of the gun. I've actually held a replica of the gun somewhere. And it is unbelievably heavy. Now, it wasn't the actual gun, but it was the same make and model. And to think that someone could hold this incredibly heavy sort of awkward thing and shoot with such precision. Anyway, it seems like there was a lot more going on there, but we don't know what it is. We may never know what it is. In fact, we probably won't. And it's great fodder for discussion because there are no answers. So no one can be proven right or proven wrong. It's like, you know, was who's better? You know, Babe Ruth or, you know, or Mike Trout or, is unanswerable right, because right. They, they, you, they, you just can't answer. They're from different, from different eras. If the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man got hungry, could he eat part of himself? Mm. 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 You ever put a, I've asked you this before, but it's a question worth asking twice. Have you ever put a marshmallow in the microwave? Yes. It gets really, really big. Yeah. And it loses its little... Uh, it loses its surface, its non-sticky surface, and becomes super sticky. So I would like everyone out there in Dribble Nation to put a marshmallow in their microwave so they can experience that, and we would have a common experience, and our common ground will grow even more. What a great way to end something on history mysteries to talk about marshmallows in the microwave. It's kind of like an initiation to <laughs> Nation. All right, listen, this was fun. We touched a little bit on some of these lingering mysteries like Atlantis and Stonehenge and all that kind of incredible stuff. Kurt and I will be back next week, I hope in person, but if not, we'll be back regardless uh, with a brand new episode of Smart Dribble where we hope for the dribble and promise the smart. No! You want to do it again? No. Promise the dribble and hope for the smart. Oh, I know what it is. I was just trying to change it around. And how did that go? Not too well. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everybody.